0: I was uh, listening to a study interesting study uh, this past week and it was about um, men and women and IQ and uh, um, I'm gonna preface this with this as we talk about it I don't I don't want to I don't want to cause any fights at home this afternoon so remember this is just just a study you do what you want, what you want with it but it was a, uh, an interesting study in that as the IQ of men increases they are more likely to get married so says the study. Like I say, it's a study. Do what you want with it. But as a, as as the IQ of a man increases, he becomes more and more likely to get married. Um, but according to the study, the converse is true for women. The 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 higher their IQ, the less likely they are to get married, which is an interesting. You can do what you like with that, but. Um, the percentages involved in this were very interesting, and they were, they were pretty dramatic, actually. I think it was, I can't remember exactly, but I think it was for every 15 IQ points over 100, a man's likelihood of getting married increases by like 35%. And for women, it was, for women it was like the opposite was true. Every <laughs> 15 IQ points over 100, the likelihood of them getting married tends to drop. But I thought that was that was fascinating. And a woman wants to marry a man who has at least a similar or higher IQ than her. So, guys, if your if your wife is brilliant, which I'm sure they are, that that kind of says something about you too. But men in general don't end up marrying a woman with a higher IQ than them. Now, again, I don't I don't want to cause any fights at home this afternoon. That's not what this is about. But uh, along that line, something I would say, just as kind of a side note to maybe younger people who are looking for someone to maybe marry um, you want to marry someone who's going to contend with you someone who's going to challenge you Um, my wife is both beautiful and intelligent and she contends with me a lot and that's a good thing we enjoy it matter of fact we often contend with each other on purpose we debate you know issues in the world and we have a lot of fun doing it but like I say it's just a study and you can take and do what you like with it but one thing that I thought was very interesting that this study concluded that was that it's very difficult for a very physically attractive and very intelligent woman to find a man to marry. Um, many men are intimidated by women like that. and For her to find a man who's not intimidated as well as you know, physically attractive and, and very intelligent is very difficult. And when I heard this, I turned to my wife and I said, man, you were lucky to find me. Um, Anyway, that's my semi-relevant introduction to our sermon today on reaping what you sow. Um, Hopefully I've explained that in a way that everyone understands the humor of it. But reaping and sowing, sowing and reaping, or reaping what you sow is a principle that's found throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, when you start digging into it and looking at it, it's all over the place. And today we're going to be looking to the book of Galatians. And we're going to be in chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. And Paul addresses this very specifically in this passage. Chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. And I'll read those now. This is what it says. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in prayer. We're grateful for your word and as we open it up and dig into it this morning I pray that you would just open our hearts and our minds to it. Help us understand it. Give us ears to hear. And I pray that it would help us. You would use it to change us to become more of who you want us to be. Help us to better understand who we are. How we serve you. All of these things. Help us to better understand the gospel understand what Jesus has done for us, and how we draw an identity from that. And we're thankful for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now, as with, well, I suppose any book of the Bible, really, there's so many great things to learn from the book of Galatians. And one of the things that is woven throughout this book, and I suppose throughout Scripture, and I've seen as a theme, as I've listened to other pastors lately, is, is that, that struggle that we all struggle with, that constant struggle we face between legalism and liberalism. And finding that right place where right behavior and salvation come together, that sweet spot where we understand morality in light of the gospel, and the gospel in light of morality and where we stand, and where we draw an identity that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ as we look at these things. What Paul gives us in these verses that we've just read is a warning label for life, a warning label, and many of the things we buy have warning labels on them. When you look at your car owner's manual, for instance, there will be a lot of instruction in there, but there's also warning labels in there, and that's kind of what this passage is. Um, An instruction manual tells us how to do things, but it also warns us about some things not to do. A car, for instance, it's a, it's a very, very useful thing. Probably everybody got here this morning in a vehicle of some sort. But if it's used in a way that it's not intended to be used, or if it's not cared for properly, it will either break down, or if it's you know, not used in a way that it's intended, it could potentially even become a dangerous thing. And that's why warning labels exist. And in Galatians, Paul has given us some things we should do, and some things we shouldn't do. But basically, the message of the entire book, both warnings and instructions, is to live by the gospel, live in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is, it's profoundly simple, but so much so, sometimes that we miss the point, and we, and we tend to overcomplicate it a bit. But Paul writes something in verse 6 to introduce this passage that, that leads into it. And and this is what he says. He says in verse six, he says, let him who is taught in the word share all good things with him who teaches. And that might seem a little disjointed or, and, and kind of out of place, which is not unreasonable, not unusual when you read things that Paul writes. You can say, okay, what's, what's he saying here? What's he saying there? Paul is a guy who will, he'll write something and then he'll go off over here for a while and explain something else. And then Uh, maybe chapters later will bring everything back together again. And he just writes in that way. And that verse 6 can seem a little bit disjointed from the other things. But verse 6 is the fulcrum between what Paul has written and the warning that he's now giving us in verses 7 and 8. Now, regardless of our circumstances, you know, everybody who's here this morning, everybody who's listening online, We all have a different set of circumstances. And the fact is, is we really don't understand each other's circumstances. I don't fully understand yours, you don't fully understand mine, but whatever they are, wherever they are, wherever we're at, as believers, we should strive to respond to our circumstances, to the day-to-day struggles, the things that happens, both the good and the bad. There's lots of good things that happen too. But as believers, we should strive to respond to our circumstances by living in obedience to God. And that's always going to produce the best results possible. The the better we get at that, the more practice, the better results we're going to have happen. And if we all did that, we'd probably solve a lot of problems for ourselves. But we're responsible for ourselves to do that. That's our job, that's your job, it's my job to do that. We can take good care of ourselves by affording things like you know, deception and by telling the truth and, and living in obedience to God. And now going back to verse 6, Paul says here's something that's going to help you do that. Here's something that's going to help you live in obedience to God and you're going to experience better results when you do this or the right results. Sometimes results happen that may be God's will that may not necessarily seem that great to us, but they're the best results. So here's something that's going to help you do that. He says, submit yourselves to teachers who have submitted themselves to other teachers. Now, we all need to read, we need to learn from, and be taught our Bible. We all need that. I need that. I seek that out for myself. I do my best to do that for you, which is hopefully what I'm doing for you now. And sometimes, you know, if someone doesn't feel like that's what's happening, then they should probably find some place where they're comfortable and feel like that is happening or that is being done. But most of the things that I have learned, I've learned from other teachers. You know, a lot of the the sermons I preach, I dig into commentaries, I read. Of course, some things, you know, um, just come up as I read. But a lot of what I've learned, a lot of what I share, I learn from other teachers. And Paul says, let him who is taught in the word share all good things with him who teaches. What that means is that there is a reciprocal relationship there. Uh, we rely on each other. You and I rely on each other in this. We both need to be present. You know, even whether we're here in person, whether we're online, I need to be here, you need to be here for this to work. For us, We both need to be part of this. And sharing in all good things means we use our circumstances, our resources, and our abilities to help each other bear one another's burdens. I help you, you help me. Now, in the case of Christian students and ministers like myself, it's a mutual sharing of gifts. It's a mutual sharing of gifts. It's a mutual sharing of resources that sets Christian workers free to do Christian work. Uh, it's a case of kind of both equipping the saints and not muzzling the ox at the same time. The teacher shares the gifts God has given them with the learners, and the learners share the gifts God has given them with the teachers. And we should all share those gifts generously with the right attitude. And when we do that, it makes for a very healthy very good mutual fellowship. And the main thing to understand in what Paul is saying in verse 6 is six is that it is a fellowship. It's a mutual working together to support each other. And it, that's a challenge for us because a lot of things that we experience in culture are different than that. They're different to that. And then Paul follows that up. With, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. And this is our warning label that we talked about. And there are several things Paul tells us we shouldn't be deceived about. We're going to kind of look at this from the viewpoint of the principle. And then we're going to move on to the specific point that Paul intends to give us here. Now, one of those goes back to the teachers, specifically false teachers. That's one of the reasons Paul is writing in Galatians is he's dealing with some false teachers who are teaching legalism as a means of righteousness instead of the gospel. And that seems to be an ongoing forever struggle for Christianity. It's all through the New Testament. It's it's always a thing, that legalism of working to make myself right with God instead of resting In the gospel resting in the gospel now thing to understand about false teachers is they were not and are not motivated by love for God and other believers it's not a mutual thing with a false teacher false teachers are in it for themselves and even tend to take pride in the fact that they are are different than others and that they know something others may not know they're proud of the division they cause and in my opinion, part of what makes false teachers so challenging is that they don't believe they're a false teacher. I don't, I don't think false teachers would think they're a false teacher. Um, they really believe what they're teaching people, and they often do it with religious vigor. And that's one of the many reasons it's so important that we seek what's true more so than we seek to be right. And Paul says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. And what Paul says is absolutely true. God is not mocked. Now, what does that mean? God is not mocked. Now, we might think that means, well, God won't be laughed at, which is kind of true, but it's not exactly what Paul is telling us when he says God is not mocked. What Paul is telling us is that God has set and natural order to things. You know, there's gravity, there's there's physical, moral, um, spiritual principles and laws that God has put into place. He's put those into place. And you and I are subject to that. Everyone is subject to those. And that word mocked, interestingly, it comes from a word that means to blow your nose. Blow your nose. But it's, you know, I don't don't need to go into a big Greek lesson, but anyway, it's it's that's where the the base word comes from. But the word, the way Paul uses it, means to uh, uh, turn your nose up at what God says. It's like saying, "Well, you can't tell me what to do." I'm saying that to God, and God says, "Okay, you have a free will. You can do as you like, but that doesn't change the principles that or the laws that God's put in place." Okay, you you have your free will. You can do what you want, but that doesn't change the way God has set things up. Okay, If you jump off a cliff, you will hit the ground hard. Sure, you can make the decision to jump off the cliff, but no one's going to walk away from that saying, ha ha, look at me, I didn't fall. See, God's principles. They don't change. Um, We can't change those. We can challenge them, but they don't change. That's because... God is not mocked. That's what Paul's getting at when he says God is not mocked. His laws and principles do not change. And if we choose to act in a way that is contrary to those, or we challenge those, we work against those, Paul says, you reap what you sow. The principle is definitely tied with the, the, the fellowship of sharing all good things. If you sow healthy fellowship, you're going to reap the benefits of that. If you don't sow healthy fellowship, you're going to sow division and problems and have struggles. You're going to be unhappy because God is not mocked. He set things up to work a certain way. And if we try to work outside of that, it's, just, it's not going to happen. It's not going to go well. Now, this principle applies to everything. Like I said, we're going to talk about the principle, and then we're going to talk about the point that Paul is getting at. The principle applies to everything. God has set the laws and principles of the universe in place we reap what we sow. And something to understand about reaping and sowing is that reaping what you sow is a principle. Okay, it's not a law. It's a principle. Because you can break a law, but you can't break a principle. You reap what you sow, full stop. There's a movie called Secondhand Lions. Uh, maybe you've seen it. It's, it's actually quite good. I, if I remember correctly, it's, it's a family-friendly movie. It's a good movie. It's a fun movie to watch. It's called Secondhand Lions. Anyway, in the movie, there's these two old guys and they buy a bunch of um, seed from a traveling salesman for their garden. And they plant seed and they label all the rows in their garden. And they have rows of tomatoes and potatoes and squash and corn and, and whatever else they had in their garden. And once all the seed starts growing in their garden, they kind of look at the garden and they notice that all the plants in every row are, look the same. They look the same. And it turns out that the traveling salesman had sold them nothing but corn seed. So all the seed they bought, it was all corn seed. And so they have a large garden full of nothing but corn. So there's kind of a funny scene where they eat lots and lots of corn. But they, were, they thought they thought they were sowing many different things. But what they were really sowing was just corn. That's all they sowed. And the reality was all they harvested was corn because that's all they had sown. That's a principle. Those seeds aren't going to change into something else. Sowing and reaping is probably the most, one of the most, at least one of the most shared experiences of human beings. We all understand that principle. We've probably all experienced it to some degree. We've probably all planted something. It's grown. If you've ever planted it or grown anything, you understand that you are going to reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. No matter how much we may wish we had something different, whatever we've sown is what we are going to harvest. It doesn't matter how hard we wish or try it was something different. That's what it's going to be because, as Paul says, God is not mocked. That doesn't change. There's no changing that principle. Now, what Paul is getting at in this passage is that's not only true from an agricultural standpoint, but it's also true from a spiritual standpoint, it's true from a moral standpoint, and it's also true from a physical standpoint as well. Can you think of a time in your life, I could probably make a pretty big list of times in my life, where you were wishing that you were reaping a different harvest than you had sown in the past? We've we've probably all done that at some point. You can look back and you can see where you had sown this seed for the harvest now and you're thinking, Boy, I sure wish I would have done something different back then. For instance, so many of us say uh, we'd like to be more fit for whatever reason. You know, I, I say it all the time. Maybe for health reasons, you know, maybe to be more comfortable, whatever it might be. And we say that, and we say that, and we say that, and we say that. But now, had we started sowing the seed for that two or three years ago, we would be reaping that harvest today. But we were sowing a different kind of seed several years ago, and that's why we're not reaping that harvest now. And I think a big lesson to take away from this is to pay attention, become consciously aware of what kind of seed we're sowing. Because often in the moment, I don't think we fully recognize what we're sowing and what we're gonna reap later. So it's important to think about that. You know, Take a moment, think about it. It might be a good exercise this afternoon. Maybe break out a notebook and jot down some notes. Okay, what kind of seed am I planting? What am I doing here? What's gonna happen later because of that? Because as Paul says, God will not be mocked. Whatever seed I'm sowing, that's what I'm gonna harvest later. It's not something to take lightly. It's something to take seriously to really look into because the way God has set things up, the natural order of things, whether spiritual, moral, or physical, can't be avoided it can't be avoided we can't get around that and the verse 8 says for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption now when the Bible talks about flesh it's talking about more than just our physical body it's talking about the inherent nature that we have within us that's been passed down from generation to generation from the time Adam and Eve were in the garden and it's it's talking about that inherent sin nature that we all have in us that separates us from God and the physical body is just what we use once we've decided to serve who or whatever we're going to serve it's just a tool we use to do that it's neither good nor evil in and of itself but how we use it is so if we let that inherent sin nature decide what seed we're going to sow, we're going to reap accordingly. One of the things that that means is that God is not to blame for a poor harvest. If we harvest, it's because we've sown seed. God's not to blame for that. The process of moral consequences is a natural, organic process that God has set up. But at the same time, I want to add this in. There are things that happen, that are outside of our control. They just are. Things happen outside of our control. There's nothing we can do about it. Sometimes difficult things happen. It doesn't always mean that we've sown bad seed or that we've sown poor seed. Sometimes bad things just happen, or things we consider bad anyway. And because something difficult, somebody goes through a hard time, a difficult time, a challenging time, whatever it means, doesn't necessarily mean that they've sown bad seed. And I think that most of us would know the difference. And we're being given direction in the passage to remember that. Now one of, the, one of the terrible things that happens sometimes, and I've seen this happen in Christianity, you probably have too at some point, is someone sees something bad happening to someone else, something difficult, something harsh, something challenging, and they say, God must be punishing them or they're reaping what they've sown. That's that's just not true. That's ignorant. Because we don't know what that person's circumstances were. We have no idea what another person's circumstances are. We don't know what seed they have or haven't sown. They may be a far better Christian than we are, or better than the person making that statement anyway. And another reason is, in that, when someone says that, Oh, God must be punishing them because there's something bad happening to them or they're reaping what they're sowing. They miss the point of the principles and the laws that God has set up in the universe. It's kind of like saying, if someone jumps off a cliff and breaks their leg, then someone says, God broke their leg to punish them. That's just dumb. That's just dumb. That's not how it works. God's not sitting on his throne just waiting to punish people or to to smite people who have done wrong but he has put principles and laws in place that are non-negotiable and when we attempt to act outside of those we reap what we sow and when we sow immorality we're working against God's intention for us and we'll reap accordingly that's how it works that is the order in which God has set things and God wants what is best for us When we sow to the flesh, it causes a different outcome than God wants for us. Nobody wants to harvest destruction and corruption. But we still do it. But we still do it. Why do we do that? Why do we do things that we know are not good, that we know are going to cause problems for us later? Why do we sow poor seed? When something becomes more important than God in our lives, it becomes an idol. And idols, before they become idols, are almost always things that are important to us. Things that we like, things that we enjoy, things that matter to us. At least initially, at least initially. We love our idol until it enslaves us. And we reap the harvest of sowing seed to that idol. And that's why we're being warned against it. Not because God is legalistic and wants to control us, but because he wants what's best for us and he set certain principles and laws in place, and he will not be mocked. Those will not change. And usually, when we're sowing poor seed that's going to lead to a poor harvest later, it doesn't seem that bad in the moment. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal in the moment. It always seems smaller than it really is, whether it It's, you know, sexual immorality or addiction or gluttony, whatever it may be, those little things, the little seeds that we sow at the time we're sowing them don't seem like that big of a deal. That's why we need to be consciously aware of the seed we're sowing. We also need to be aware that the seed itself is much smaller than the harvest. It's much smaller. The little seed in the ground is tiny compared to the plant that grows from it. Again, that's a biblical principle. Think of the mustard seed. A seed is very small, but it grows into something very large. And remember, Paul's writing to a church. He's writing to the Galatians. And believers are the intended audience of Scripture. Okay, believers are the intended audience of Scripture. Remember this also. If in your life you're reaping, or it seems like you're reaping what is a bad harvest. Maybe you did sow a bunch of bad seed. Maybe you did do a a lot of that in the past, and now you are dealing with the consequences of that. Maybe you're reaping that harvest. Understand that God doesn't disown you in that. You know, it it just means that you haven't been living in a way that's that's best for you. And we're going to have to suffer the consequences if we've sown the seed. We're going to reap the harvest. But that doesn't mean God disowns you. You may be looking over your life as as I often do and I wish and I think you know I wish I wouldn't have sown that seed I wish I wouldn't have done that thing in the past or those multiple things in the past I wish I wasn't reaping this harvest now and sometimes someone in that situation can begin to think I, I I've, I've done too much I'm beyond God's reach I've, I've gone into this too far the harvest is is, is too much, it's too big. I'm reaching such a terrible, I'm reaping such a terrible harvest that I am beyond God being able to do anything about it. But you have to remember who created the principles, who created the laws. We can be a, a, a saved believer and still reap spiritual breakdown and destruction, okay? We can be living in a terrible harvest and still turn to God. And still turn to God. We all sow seeds of sin. That ultimately lead to a harvest of destruction. And death. The nature living within us. Causes us to do that. A nature that just wants to rebel against God. Wants to sow bad seed. That's in us. Verse 8. It goes on to say this. But the one who sows to the spirit. Will from the spirit reap eternal life. Now when we hear that. Along with. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. People, many people, think what that means is that if I sow bad seed, I'm going to be separated from God and I'm going to end up in hell. That's that's often the takeaway from that. Then there's the other side of that same coin. But if I sow enough good seed, if I work hard enough, if I try hard enough, I'll reap eternal life. Listen carefully. This may be one of the most important things you ever hear, because what Paul is teaching in that verse is actually the opposite of that. It's actually the opposite of that. This is like the point, okay the is there it applies to all these things and you know, we've got we've got some scientists in here. I know you guys understand there's these principles and laws of the universe, and those things don't change. Reaping and sowing is a principle that's understood universally physically. Morally, spiritually, but the ultimate point that Paul is making has to do with how we as human beings relate to God. Remember, Paul is writing this to deal with false teachers who are teaching that the way to God is through legalistic behavior, doing the right thing, trying hard enough. What Paul calls sowing seed to the flesh is self-righteous legalistic behavior. It's not just immorality. It's trying really hard to do good stuff. That's sowing seed to the flesh. When we're doing it to make ourselves right with God, and that's that's where the struggle's at. Because morality is good. God wants us to do good things. But that's not how we're accepted by him. Legalism is thinking I am sowing seed through my good works that will lead to a harvest of acceptance by God. But that's not the gospel that's not what paul is saying here that is not the principle god has put in place of how people relate to him and he will not be mocked that is unchanging doesn't matter how hard you try it's not going to work sowing to the flesh only reaps corruption i looked up this word corruption when i was reading this you know what corruption is you can look it up in the dictionary it means dishonest and fraudulent behavior usually involving bribery. And I thought that is such a perfect word for that. Sowing seed to the flesh is an attempt to bribe God into accepting us. And that's an interesting thought, trying to bribe the God who created and owns everything into accepting us. There's nothing to bribe him with. What could we offer him that he doesn't already have? That makes bribing God sound like a pretty dumb idea. God has set principles in place for how we relate to him and through our flesh is not it. That's sowing the wrong seed and that's what we do. Corruption is the harvest we will reap. And that doesn't mean don't concern yourself with doing good things. Paul very clearly goes on to say, don't don't go tired of doing that. Work hard at doing that. Do good things. That's important. But sow seed to the spirit Because the one who sows seed to the Spirit will, of the Spirit, reap eternal life. And here's the balance between knowing God, relating to God, salvation, and good works. We do good things because we love God, because we serve God, not to make us right with God. The gospel does that. Jesus does that. We cannot do that in and of ourselves. The principle God has put in place that determines how human beings relate to him, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus left heaven to come to earth to die on the cross for us. He shed his blood as a propitiation for our sins, and he rose again three days later, proving his power over death, hell, and the grave. That is the gospel. That's the good news. That's how we relate to God, is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and placing our trust in him gaining and living in the understanding that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life is sowing sowing seed to the spirit that will reap a harvest of eternal life. That's what Paul is telling us. Like I say, it's easy to confuse that. An initial reading without really understanding that, a lot of people think, oh, I've got to try really hard. But Paul's saying the opposite of that. He's saying the opposite of that. He says, if you are working to make yourself right with God, you're sowing the wrong seed. Because that only happens through Jesus Christ. That is the principle. There's no changing that. That's how God has made things. But doing good works, morality, that's still important. That still matters. He says, don't grow tired of doing that. But what kind of seed are we sowing? Because we can be doing the same thing with our physical body and be sowing two different kinds of seeds. If we're sowing seed to make ourselves right with God, we're sowing seed to the flesh, and we will reap corruption. If we're sowing seed because we love God, if we serve in him, we're saved by Jesus, we're sowing seed to the Spirit, and we will reap eternal life. And we're even sowing to the flesh or sowing to the Spirit. Are you trusting God, or are you trusting self? Sometimes we, we may get to a point where we've sown so much Bad seed and we 're reaping this terrible harvest, and we think God would never accept me. You know why we think that is because we 're trusting ourselves instead of jesus we 're placing our, our, our hope in ourselves we're sowing seed in the flesh, that only reaps corruption. place your trust in jesus i 'm going to ask you to stand with me for a moment we 're going to have a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in prayer. And I pray that you would give us understanding of this point that Paul wrote so long ago, but it's so relevant to every person who's ever lived and how we relate to you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not through our works, but through Jesus, who has done everything. On the cross, he said, it's finished. He took care of it. We place our faith in and our trust in Him. He saves us. You offer us the gift of eternal life through Him. And then we spend our lives serving You out of love for You. Father, we are so grateful for the gospel. I just pray that You'd give us understanding. And I pray if there's someone here in person, maybe someone who's listening somewhere, that they would understand that it's only through Jesus that we reap a harvest of eternal life. And I pray that we would turn to Him in faith, repent of trusting ourselves, and put our hope, our faith, and our trust in Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.